0: in your Bibles, please, for our first reading to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Here now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come "...on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth, nor addeth thereunto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto thy seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed." which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, serveth then the law, it was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. May God add his blessing to the reading to the hearing Of his most holy word. (coughs) Excuse me. Important point that he's going to make a little bit later. He's not only going to say this is the way that God has always been doing it. But those of you who desire to be under the law. Let's remember that Abraham was justified by faith. Without the works of the law. And before the law was even given. In that sense. At Sinai okay so the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto abraham saying in these shall all nations be blessed this is something that i think a lot of folks fail to reckon with that the gospel was preached to abraham the gospel was preached to the jews the gospel was preached uh, to the jews the apostle will tell us in hebrews chapter 4 also, and that's the, that's the Jews that came out of Egypt. In other words, they're coming out of Egypt and they're hearing the preaching of Moses in that they were apprised of the gospel. And yet, what did they do? They did not believe it. They did not mix their hearing with faith. But the word gospel is used there in Hebrews 4. The word gospel is used here also. And although the word gospel is not used in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of man... Still, the advertisement of the coming Messiah in Genesis chapter 3 has been recognized by many as what we have called the proto-evangelium or the first preaching of the gospel. So the gospel, faith, um, righteousness by faith, this is not something that is new. This is something that that predates even the giving of the law at Sinai, the, the, the raising up of the ceremonial law. All of that is predated by salvation before God. That is salvation from the judgment to come. Remember, saved from what? Salvation from the judgment to come by faith only and not by your own works. And that faith is accounted to you by God for righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11 will tell us that Abel partook of that righteousness. Noah partook of that righteousness. Abraham partook. Partook of that righteousness, and so on. So, what Paul is doing with the Galatian churches here is showing not only the antiquity of the gospel construct, but also that in its antiquity it predates the law. And so, when the law comes, as Paul will say in a few moments, 430 years later, it does not disannul the promise that God made to Abraham, it is adjunct to it to help with the realization of that promise. It is not converse to it at all. Okay. So then, they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And then he will talk about what it means to attempt to be righteous before God by keeping the law. What, well, how does that proposition work? Or as one, one popular you know, television counselor says, how's that working for you? Right? How does that work? Here's what Paul says, verse ten. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by law, and by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. It's not by faith, it's by doing. And so in those three verses, Paul reveals the impossibility of being right with God through our own good works. It's impossible. It cannot be done. We are all under the curse because all of us have in one sense or another, either in Adam or in ourselves, broken the commandments of God. So Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's let's pause at verse 13 and 14 for a moment and think of the greatness of God's mercy. Paul has just concluded the, the entire human race guilty before God and worthy of cursing. But instead... We have this gracious promise of God that is shed abroad upon Abraham and all those who have a like faith with Abraham that it's not a cursing at all, it's a blessing. Beloved, do you hear the mercy in that? And we must remember that, this is, that it's not merciful for God to say to someone, if you can be good enough, you will commune with me. That's not merciful at all because there's no one that can be. We've already been tainted with our relationship to Adam and then we only add to that our own wickedness. And so beloved, if we are hoping in some sense or another because we can get to a place where we're good enough or we can, uh, uh, our our good works will outweigh the bad or we're better than we used to be (laughs) or better than the next guy All of those things, that's that's simply tilting at windmills. It's, it's, uh, It's placing all your stock in a place that will have no fruition at all. If we would be right with God, it will be through the work of Jesus Christ and him alone, his sacrifice. And the efficacy of that sacrifice is indeed received through the empty and alone instrument of faith. The law is not of faith. It's not, you know... Now that I'm saved, I can keep the law. And for that, God will save me. No, that's Roman Catholicism. Right? And other religions like it. It's not, oh, God is no longer required that I keep all the commandments of God, only that I believe and God receives my believing as obedience. And so that's what I need to be saved. No. No, because your faith could never rise to the level of the perfection that it would need to rise to. It's not faith in faith. And it's not faith in our own doing, it's simply faith in Christ and his doing and his dying. And it cannot be anything other than that. Abraham believed God. Abraham, Jesus will say, saw Christ's day and rejoiced. The Old Testament saints knew much more than they're often given credit for knowing So, now we come to verse 15, after we've heard about the great mercy of God in Christ, giving that blessing instead of the curse. Verse 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth nor addeth thereto. Uh, Paul will, will, will tell the Galatians this, you know how when you make a contract, it's binding. And if someone breaks that contract, they can be taken to law for that. Now, that's not to say that the law executes judge justice every time. But they ought to, right? The law ought to uh, ex- execute justice when contracts are breached, when covenants are broken. So if it's a man's covenant, nobody adds to it. Nobody takes away from it. But to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And notice how Paul equates the term promise and covenant here. They're, in, in, in this passage, in a sense interchangeable in, in the way that he uses them. Functional synonyms, if you will. And so what Paul says is, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not seeds as of many, but seed as of one, which is Christ. In other words, that the covenant that God made with Abraham was primarily a covenant that God made with Christ. Christ the seed of Abraham and then in him in Christ with all those who have the faith of Abraham Abraham is set forth in this passage and in Romans chapter 4 as an archetype of saving faith his faith is that is a species of that saving faith that is set out in scripture as an example what kind of a faith was it It was an unshakable faith in the promises of God. Even in the worst of temporal circumstances. Right? The Lord said to him, in Isaac shall your seed be called. Okay. I got it. Now I finally have my promised seed. I'm going to name him Laughter because he's the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Okay. Very good. Now take your only son whom you love in Genesis 22 and take him up To Mount Moriah and offer him there a sacrifice unto the Lord your God. Abraham gets up early in the morning, doesn't he? And away they go. And when they're yet a little ways out, he turns to his servants and he says, What does he say? Very, very pointedly, very carefully, he says, I and the lad will go yonder and we will return. Wait a minute. He's supposed to leave Isaac up on the mountain. He's supposed to reduce him to ashes. We will return, Abraham says. And the book of Hebrews makes it absolutely plain to us that he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead, by which he received him back in a figure. Uh, He was stopped before he plunged the knife into Isaac's chest. Why? Because his test was complete, his trial was complete. That kind of saving faith now is set on example before us all in every age that we might know this archetype of saving faith. Did Abraham believe God? Yes. Was it accounted to him as righteousness? Absolutely yes. Not by any works of his. Notice he drew short of obedience but at God's behest. So what his faith did what that was so remarkable was not that he actually took Isaac up there was that he devised the remedy in his mind long before he raised the knife. That's what his faith did. God cannot break his promise. He said, it's in Isaac that my seed will be called. I suppose then that the only way out of this is that God raises him up from the dead. So let's go, Isaac, and let's get it done, and I'll see you on the other side. We will return. So Abraham is set up as the archetype of saving faith because of those actions, the depth of that faith. And that faith is truly a gift from God. So then the the covenant, which was confirmed before of God in Christ, I hope you heard that, that the covenant that God made with Abraham was confirmed before of God in Christ. It was a covenant concerning Christ in the days of Abraham. Right? Abraham saw Christ's day. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. You guys know this about your own contracts, Paul says to the Galatians. Nobody adds or disannuls. If God did something, how, how then do we think that the law coming after that is going to change the way of salvation to works from faith? It can't happen. It's impossible. It doesn't happen in human contracts and it doesn't happen in God's promises either. And that's that's the argument of the apostle here in this first part of chapter 3. For for if the inheritance be of of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. End of argument number one. Argument number two. Okay, Paul, you've stepped in it now, haven't you? Tell us then why God gave the law. Why did God give the law at all? If the promise was always going to be in effect then why did God come down upon Mount Sinai in great show and in great pomp and in great fearfulness with lightning and thunder and dark cloud and quaking ground and loud thunder? Why did God give the law at Sinai? And I believe that many theologians are confused on why God gave the law. But Paul is very clear here. What does he say? The law was added because of transgressions. In other words without a codified law, without something that was written down in tables of stone, even the people of God, we forget. We forget. And this is set forth even in the fourth commandment, isn't it? What's the first word of the fourth commandment? You Bible scholars know the answer to that question. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Why? Because we need the law as a reminder Because without the law looming over us and without the voice of God thundering from Sinai, we are tempted to think that we can approach him on our own. What did the people of God say to Moses? What do we read in in Exodus uh, chapters 18 and 19 and then in Hebrews chapter 12? What do we read? What did the people say to Moses? You go up there and talk to him. We don't want any part of that. We can't endure another word spoken. After God spoke the ten words, they said to Moses, you go speak to him. We can't bear another word. We know what the next word is going to be. The next word is going to be guilty. You go talk to him. And that's why Moses will say that the law was, was revealed and ministered by angels in the hand of a mediator. And Moses as a mediator was a type of Christ in that day. They needed, they wanted, they needed a mediator. They knew the holiness of that God who had come down upon Sinai. And they were immediately apprised of their sins. And they said, that's it, we can't bear another word. This is why the law was given. As a schoolmaster, as a teacher, a pedagogue is literally the word that Paul uses. A pedagogue to lead us to Christ. Those of you who are in the education industry, you know what the word pedagogue means. It's the... It's the study of education of little ones. And so this law was a pedagogue. It was a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ so that we would be, what, apprised of our own good abilities to serve God and please him of our own? No, to drive us to Christ and the perfection of his obedience that It would be his obedience by which we stand before God and it would be his sacrifice by which we are released from certain death and judgment. So the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by the faith of of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And again, that's an ablative. The faith of Jesus Christ means faith toward Jesus Christ. Okay, so all of that then to say here, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one there. Verse 20, it kind of, maybe a, it seems like it's a little bit out of place. Well, what, uh, what is being said there is that Moses mediated between the people and God as a type of Christ. God is one side of the mediation and the people were the other, and Moses stood in the midst, or in the gap, as it were. But he stood as a type of Jesus Christ. Okay, so then in verses 23 and following, we see that before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so what Paul will say is that because of the sins of the people, because, as he will say in the next chapter, they were a, a sort of church underage, um, we, we treat children differently than we treat adults with regard to, quote, the rules, don't we? For instance, uh, parents, you know this, your toddler just learning to walk 12, 13, 14, 15 months or so. We had one that was six months. That was a handful. Um, starts toddling off toward the street. What do you do? Well, you, we've talked about this before. You go grab their hand. You know, if if they make it back to the to the front door with their shoulder intact, you know, it's a it's a grace because you're pulling on them, and you know, you've been, you've become very threatening, right? And rightly so, because you're trying to protect them from the harm of going down that way. Now, if your 14-year-old walks toward the street, hey, you're going to treat that exactly differently, aren't you? And then if your grown son starts toward the street, you may not even say anything at all, right? Yeah. Okay. So we can see how people at various levels of their maturity are treated differently. Well, so this is why the law was given in the Old Testament. Because the church was, as we say, it was, was under age. It was still in its infancy. It was still at a point where they had just been brought out of Egypt. They, they had been living under slavery. They had forgotten all about the Sabbath. The Lord had completely removed the Sabbath from their midst providentially. Because they slaved under hard taskmasters. Other laws that they, that they would have held, they, they didn't. They, they had become... In a sense, Egyptian. Although they they maintained their distinct uh, uh, existence as Israelites, still the customs I mean, we we find that that even during the Exodus, we're still struggling with the idolatry that they brought with them from Egypt, and so on. They're a church under age, and so yeah, the law is presented in severity. Uh, it, it's it's a gracious covenant under the scaffolding of an underaged legal severity but it's still gracious paul says here that the promise didn't go away because of the law given at sinai rather it was given adjunct to it to drive us to christ to drive them to christ and to drive us to christ they were to look at every sacrifice that they offered as pointing away from an animal sacrifice to a sacrifice of greater proportion of Messiah and when he would come. So then finally, we come to the end of the chapter. After faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, there's there's an internal and an external that's being spoken of there. Oh, well, is this talking about spirit baptism or water baptism? Well, let's remember that the Bible doesn't speak so, so, uh, uh, so dichotomously between those two things, right? It's, it's sign and thing signified. We don't marry them together such to, to mingle the sign and the thing signified, but we don't separate them so as to separate them and say we have two baptisms either. So, children, when your parents brought you to the baptismal font... There's a very real way in which you were at that point united to Christ. You were completely identified with His people. You come under the bond of the covenant. You hear the gospel preaching. You belong to the people of God. Whenever the people of God meet, you know where you're supposed to be. Because you're one of them. You stand up when they stand. You sit down when they sit. When they begin to sing, some of you, even before you can form your words, start your singing ministry, don't you? That's right. And we hear you and we love that we hear that. All of that is true. Right? But then what do we pray for as your parents and mentors and fellow church members? We pray for that sign that was applied to you will in God's good time become that inward reality. And we don't baptize you again when you say that's happened. You were baptized. You were united to Christ in everything that needs to be said when you were brought to the baptismal font. Now, when you are in your, in your heart united to Christ, when you call upon the name of the Lord, or if we can put it in the language of our sermon earlier today, when you receive Christ, when you, right, when you come to Him, when you go to Him, when you turn to Him, all of those things, when you do that, Well then, we examine you and we bring you to the table of the Lord at that point. So, beloved, um, as many of you as as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is a sense in which outward ecclesiastical baptism unites to Christ. And we don't want to play that down. It is not everything, but it is something. Something that is real and objective. Something to which you then, as those who are baptized... Should remember and remember the those commitments and those promises that were made concerning you at that time. And then notice for there is no uh, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Uh, you are a bond or free. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then notice finally here, and if ye are Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And if you want. A little bit more on that. Uh, Spend some time this evening in your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. And hear the profession of the Jews of Christ's day when they say, we are Abraham's seed. And hear Christ's response to them. Because Christ said, you are not Abraham's seed. You don't have the faith of Abraham and you don't have the practice of Abraham. You are not Abraham's seed. But if you are Christ's, no matter what ethnicity you've come from, You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, with that then, let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.